Let's uh, start with where you're from. Calcutta. Which part? I'm adopted. I'm not really Indian. Culture Wars with Giles Hardy and Dom Knight. I'm starting to remember. Saru, you're a beautiful boy. You're very proud of yourself. A life I'd forgotten. Are you okay? I had another family. A mother. A brother. I can still see their faces. What happened? And the whistle of the train is the ominous beginning of this story. That this is Lion, our first film for 2017. Hello, Giles Hardy. Hello, Dom. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, although this story, quite the emotional journey. New I don't year. know whether it's happy. Yeah, Hi, just, Dom. It's a new, new year. year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go on the train, Giles, shall we? Do, let's. Trainee New Year. Transport across a subcontinent New Year to you, Dom Knight. Thank you very much. So for those who haven't heard Culture Wars before, uh, it is the internet's premier coin-based cinema podcast, Giles. This is true. I believe The Mint uh, did think about running something, but decided that faced with such stern competition, uh, they couldn't, you know, they, they just couldn't stand up to it. In other podcasts, critics say what they think it can be very boring if a film is uh, high in the list of Oscar contenders, as Lion is. As likely, February really is. Yes, they're likely to agree. But, Giles, we have a mechanism, simple but effective, for guaranteeing that there is debate that every is time. Right. We toss a coin, which sounds a little bit like this. And that actually stayed on the table, so I'll be able to find it later. Uh, what we do is we use that. So one of us, according to the heads-tails principle that you may be somewhat familiar with, uh, we one is assigned to mention all of the positive aspects of the film and the other all the negative. So you get some argument, uh, you get some humour, hopefully. But I think it's crucial to mention we don't just make up negatives or positives. No. Or, I mean, in one case, you may have tried to suggest that I think it was Bad Santa was technically better than Star Wars. Uh, but, uh, look, yeah, for the well, most part, uh, we essentially, you know, just use this as our mechanism for meaning that all points of view are articulated. Mm, it's not going to be as, as, as simple as, no, lion shit. No, 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 it's shit. No, it's shit, Giles. Well, for example, the lion's a really good example before we dive in because ultimately it is, you know, it is an Oscar-worthy film that is an objective truth. Oh, spoiler alert. Well, it's just been nominated, so it's just objectively true that it is Oscar-worthy apparently. But it isn't necessarily for everyone, and, and this means that we are essentially uh, acting as some sort of, you know, consumer advocate yeah. rather than just telling you what we think. Except that if you slag off a film, Giles, that's potentially going to win Aussie's Oscars, you're a traitor to this fine country of ours. Do you know something? I've probably been accused of that before, and I'll probably be accused of that again. Let's get the coin thing happening, Giles. Okay, it is in the air. Call it in the air, Don. Tails, say I. It is Tails. Don, what do you think of Lion? Giles, I know that you've done a series of events with the man whose story this is, Saru Briley. This and, is true. And family. I know that you have a close personal connection with them. So I think it's going to be interesting if I say, I think Lion is a wonderful film. That's very interesting. Well, as is per tradition, as the person who will be arguing the clearly demonstrably wrong point of view that Lion is a quality proposition, why don't you tell us what Lion is about? Lion is about a little boy. Uh, Saru. Saru, who uh, goes off to collect, basically collect things to sell so his family can live. This is what he does. He, we first see him riding on top of a train. We should probably his, point out he's in India at this point. He's in India, yes. So, good point. With his brother Gudu, the two of them, his older brother and little Saru is only five years old. And they essentially scavenge from trains. They grab bits of coal. 
Uh, that goes very well. They get some milk for the family, uh, in, I think, Madhra Pradesh state, and they then decide to upscale things a bit. So Gudu's going to go off and um, do a week-long scavenging trip on the trains. He's going to essentially sweep up and try and clean things. This is the thing that actually happens. I've seen this on the train. Young boys who essentially crawl along the train Grabbing bits and pieces, it's quite confronting. It's this like is the what, train version of finding coins down the back of a sofa. Yeah, pretty much. This is what Gudu was going to do. Uh, Saru proves that his strength is such that he should get to come along with his beloved older brother. And so he does. Unfortunately, um, on the very first night of this mission, Saru's body clock kicks in. He's unable to stay awake. As Gudu does, he lies down on a bench and goes to sleep. When he wakes up, there is no Gudu. There is a train, however. He gets on the train, and unfortunately for Saru, uh, the train is decommissioned. It's going a long way across India, I think something like 4,000 kilometres away to the giant city of Calcutta, where they speak Bengali. Uh, Saru speaks Hindi, so he can't speak the language there at all. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has to try to survive. He has various adventures, uh, various near escapes from terrible fates that are hinted quite subtly at in Luke Davies's uh, screenplay based on Saru Briley's own book, A Long Way Home. Eventually, he ends up being adopted by a, a Tasmanian family, Nicole Kidman and, and David Wenham. Who wouldn't want to be adopted, Giles, by them? And he moves to Tasmania to have an apparently idyllic life, Giles. But there's something deep within that still yearns for answers and yearns to tell his family where he is and that he's okay. And that is the mission he goes on in this film. Yes, and he does so via the technique of Google. Uh, this is, uh, you know, if there is uh, one thing that you need to be aware of going into this film, it's that if you don't like Google, well, you're about to be getting an uh, hour and a half, almost two-hour advertisement for the search engine, and particularly its Google Earth product. Indeed, which uh, is extremely useful. If you need to, for instance, try to search through a massive subcontinent full of people and train stations, the largest train network in the world, I think with about two million employees, Google Earth will help you essentially look from above, trying to find landmarks. That's what the mission is. Uh, he has a, a few emotional challenges along the way. He has um, a girlfriend, um, Lucy. We're just going to call her Rooney Mara because, uh, look, I, I'm going to dive in for, for this is one of my complaints about this film. Because he has a girlfriend called Rooney Mara who mm. is playing Rooney Mara, uh, who appears to be an American actress yeah. who's just meandered into the life of Saru Briley. Uh, I look, I, I think Rooney Mara is a very talented actress. Um, I don't think she knew why she was in this film. Uh, and I think that that came across in the film where uh, it, it was a case of, you know, it felt very much like they sort of sort of went a checklist of, okay, well, if we're turning this true story into a film, it needs to have a three-act structure and it needs to have a character development and it needs an antagonist and protagonist. And, and then they got to the bit where it's like, oh, it needs a female love interest. And so they got one. Uh, and because they were hoping, you know, Harvey Weinstein at this point was on board, mm. so they were hoping that, you know, it would have uh, Oscar worthiness and, you know, f full credit to them. They know how to play that game. They've got there. But... Because of that, they went, well, let's get a name actress in. And they did. Yeah, they the, got a name actress girl in. Girl with the dragon tattoo. Pretty nice to turn up in your hotel management class on day one, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and her role really is to be Rooney Mara in occasional scenes so she can be on the poster in the North American release. And that's one of my big complaints about this film is that, you know, for a film that is paying uh, more than lip service to some very serious issues, it really did on a couple of the areas just go, and let's just, you know, go for formulaic filmmaking. There's also a brother because the, the Briarleys are so happy with their 
um, acquisition of young Saru. He's a dream child by all appearances. They go back for another uh, young young boy from India, and this uh, second child is called Mantosh. He has serious psychological problems. We see him hitting himself throughout the film, and I'm sure this is something that, that, that happens, whether or not it actually happened in this particular case. It seems very, very confronting. And, of course, all these children who come in this situation, they've been orphans in India, they've probably got some psychological baggage. And so the film is really uh, about um, Saru's attempt to deal with that baggage and and get through it. How did you feel about the way the family were portrayed, Giles? Oh, look, it's really it's interesting knowing uh, quite a lot of the backstory. Uh, Mantosh is uh, is very much a, a real person, uh, and I think that uh, there was some very uh, very strong decisions made in terms of the projection of his uh, his situation in this film. I think uh, I, I think it's really interesting looking at his situation compared to that of uh, David Wenham and Nicole Kidman's characters. Um, I think particularly David Wenham, uh, but also in most of her scenes, uh, the character of Sue, uh, they're, they're very much in a, you know, it's a representation of a type of character rather than an actual character. David Wenham does a fabulous job, though, Giles, of just turning up and calling everyone mate. and generally Plays cricket on the beach. Administering hugs. If you need a hug, David Wenham is your hugger. This is exactly right. Like, there, there is a reason David Wenham has not been uh, mo- being manipulated around the awards circuit for this film. It has nothing to do with whether he is capable of performing. It's just because in this film he's not asked to. Uh, <laughs> he is he is, he is a bit like uh, Rini Mara. He he was uh, asked to turn up on set and provide uh, the a, a warmth and whole blood circulating breathing apparatus to the character, and he very much delivers that capacity. Uh, Nicole Kidman is... Uh, essentially nominated on the ba- on the grounds of one scene. Let me praise Nicole though, Giles. Fair enough. What what a performance from her. The the she didn't have a huge amount of time on screen to deal with. But oh, it is a genuine the, supporting actress role. Like it, and she is you know sorry, to, to go off beat and be against another film. Uh, you know she's. I will at this point predict not going to win the Oscar because it's going to go to Viola Davis for what is blatantly a lead performance in Fences. Uh, but she's nominated in the supporting actress car- it's category. Very so strange, isn't it? Like- yeah, As that. is Dev Patel, Indeed. the obvious star of this film. Ah, uh, no, technically Sonny uh, is the star of this film, having taken out the first half of the film. But uh, look, let's 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 deal That's with Nicole Kidman before you. Yeah, Nicole Kidman, yep. an, an incredible performance. I mean, she's often accused of being a little cold on screen. There's none of that here. She she almost ter- scarily uh, channels the, the the sort of 70s and 80s uh, mums of our own childhood. With an incredible perm at one point. I was about to say, look, it, it is trendy to uh, to kick Nicole. I, I've never been a particular uh, signee to that uh, that opinion. I think Nicole Kimmon is a very talented actress. Uh, I think that uh, she does very well to outact her hair in various scenes of uh, of this film because her hair is, you know, essentially it almost got a supporting actor nomination. I think for this film because it is a, uh, you know, it is stealing many a scene that it is in. Let's talk Dev Patel now, though, because the most miraculous thing about him, as we heard at the start of this podcast, that's not an Australian. That is Dev Patel with an English accent somehow becoming Australian you know, to, to, an, to an extent that I've never seen before. Certainly better than the guy who played Malcolm Turnbull on last week's SNL. Anyway, Well, how dare I say better than Meryl Streep in Evil Angels. And, you know, if you're talking about uh, your benchmarks, apparently one of the most overrated actresses going around. But, uh, you know, hmm. if, if you're not the President of the United States, you probably think that Meryl Streep is quite a talented actress and his is better than hers, uh, without doubt. Now, Dev Patel, despite technically being a supporting actor, I really hope he wins for this. This is an extraordinary performance because a lot of what has to happen is essentially him 
Googling stuff. That's basically how the story unfolds. Yes. The, the, the quest is. that he goes on is a quest of sitting on, sitting in his laptop, methodically going through bits of India until he finds the I right I was bit. really impressed they didn't finally just sit him in a bathtub so he could Google through it and suddenly scream, Eureka. Because mm. I, and, and since, uh, since uh, the ancient Greeks, we have not had quite a... Oh, my goodness. I mean, an Apple may as well have fallen on his head. In fact, if the Apple computer had fallen on oh, his head yes. and then he'd screamed Eureka, we would have finally got there. The, it is one of my frustrations with this film that, uh, again, it goes to the well uh, on a couple of occasions. One is Rooney Mara, the whole existence of Rooney Mara's character. The other is the Eureka moment. Uh, you know, he, he, without giving too much away, and we're, we're into mild spoiler territories, but this is a real-life story. I, know, uh, I think people are not in doubt that he found Well, yeah, yeah. He certainly place. located his Let's town. Let's just say yeah. that much without uh, and, and there. There, there is the the real mystery is what he finds when he gets there. Mm. So yeah, the eureka moment is I find a little frustrating because it is so overwrought. I mean, he, yeah, he actually, and I think some of this is in Australia. He has his meltdown where he's pulling the map off the wall and he's giving up, and then he sits to the computer and he stroke taps and stroke taps, and then just it, he may as well you know have hit the random number generator, and lo and behold, after years of spending methodically searching. It suddenly happens. And yeah, I do know, as you, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, I have had the opportunity to chat to uh, the real-life Saru Briley on a number of occasions, uh, and I, can, I have checked this is not an accurate <laughs> representation. He did not pull everything off the wall before he found it, and it was a much more methodical process. It was partly he did need to expand his parameters and thoughts, but, yeah, not quite in the uh, filmic way we got. Well, this is the thing, and, yes, okay, they do go to the well on that. The, some of the more conventional... I guess, illustrations of drama are, are portrayed there, his frustration. He goes into a bit of a, an emotional hole. He cuts people off. There's this whole uh, process that he goes through. But at other times, I, I felt that they, they really showed his story and his journey with a degree of sensitivity and, and restraint. So much of it is unsaid. And it's so often the case in particularly Hollywood films that you know, every emotion has to be vocalised and verbalised and explained. This film, and I, I think partly because of uh, the way Luke Davies wrote it, it, it actually holds back all kinds of things. You see fragments of the whole and it puts you in the position. And this is the thing that's most powerful about Lion for me is that it imagines, it, it lets you imagine what it would be like for you being in this situation and it keeps blending old and new. It smashes them together. We cut from present day Saru back to uh, the, back to little Sonny, the child actor. Only uh, a little bit though. I mean, I, yeah, I don't no, think we don't should overdo it. I, I think, and I think the transition is... My other sort of uh, biggest probably negative about this film is it essentially it almost needs an intermission uh, <laughs> because the uh, the moment it goes from Sunny to Dev playing Saru, uh, it, it really does feel like they could close the curtains, hand out popcorn, the you know the world it could come out of the stage and have a bit of a whirl around. Oh, and it, first transitions, it, yeah, because I mean because it, it's almost a gear crunch because uh, it changes. Years forward, go, it changes, but it cha years? and it's changed. It, not quite a change of genre, so because it's still the true you know, true life docudrama, but it's this. A st very big stylistic change where we've gone from a, a fairly linear narrative to, as you say, a sort of jumping around a bit more. And what's interesting is uh, that's 
a reflection of memory because mm. the first half of the trip is all about, you know, we're seeing something, but we're getting hints at what he might remember because what we know about uh, Sonny, and, and this is, you know, crucial uh, in, in understanding the film, is that he's a, he, Saru in real life does not know his own birthday. And so we only know that Sonny is probably about five when we're seeing him. Mm. And he can't even pronounce the name of his hometown, which is crucially, why, yeah, crucially, yeah. obviously, why the authorities in India cannot return him. Uh, he doesn't, yeah, you know, he has no capacity to. Once they find someone who speaks the same language, he he's getting the name wrong. The extraordinary thing is he, he was so far from where he. This grew is quite, up. yeah. That's, the, that's what's so extraordinary about the story. So yeah, the the, the on ter- in terms of the the transition, I think it takes you out of the film for a bit when you transition to Dev because it is a it's a big change in style. It's almost like the <laughs> suddenly second... Suddenly he's Australian. Yeah. Well, it's suddenly like it's the second part of a miniseries. And it's been a foreign film up to that point in terms of the language. You, yeah, you've heard absolutely. Hindi and Bengali with subtitles and yeah. suddenly um, you get this bizarre Australian accent. But then the some of the images that we see in the first uh, part of the film come crashing back. And what I liked about that is it kind of functions the way memory works. There are triggers... And, in fact, my favourite Indian sweet, the jalebi, which I suggest everyone go and eat because they're amazing, um, that's one of the triggers. And so I can only imagine that must have been what it was like. He saw these sweets that he loved as a child but could never afford to have, bites into one, and then suddenly images come back. So in terms of of why this film, uh, I I think, is worthy of of praise, firstly, the story is utterly compelling. It's, It's a thing where you mightn't believe it. If it hadn't happened, the way that this has all come together, it got huge media interest when it happened um, for a very good reason. It's incredible. Imagining a five-year-old boy completely alone in a place he can't even speak the language. How does he survive? What does he do? Uh, the, the amount of empathy on offer is incredible. It's told with, uh, I think, considerable sensitivity and restraint. Performances are great. It made me cry. I'm not um, I'm ashamed to admit. I sobbed repeatedly during this film. It really, uh, it, it really knew how to tug the heartstrings. With great efficiency and effectiveness, it, it was very moving uh, to me as someone with Indian relatives, perhaps particularly, but I think anyone would have had that experience. It made me cry and it made me think about the problem, it made me empathise with, with um, these people in this world and take me out of my, my everyday existence. And I think, what more would you ask of a film than to do those things, Giles? Oh, look, I mean, yeah, the, the true story is in many regards infinitely better. I mean, I think that is the the closest I can get to a, 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 to articulating is that uh, there is there are aspects of the true story that just couldn't be included. Uh, there is an entire brother who has been uh, uh, Saru has an additional uh, biological brother. <laughs> yeah, I read that was, in the Wikipedia after the film. Who has like, been? Um, I've got to go and get the book. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, you know his uh, his story is extraordinary, and it, and it was covered by first initially uh, the Indian media, then the Australian media, then sixty minutes. Then uh, he wrote the book. Then it was a documentary, and now there's there's the film, and there's there's a reason for this, and he he also gets taken around the world, unsurprisingly, by mm. Google, uh, who really consider him the poster child for what you can do with a <laughs> yes. search engine. And even uh, the name of the film is. is is fascinating. We won't say why it's called yeah. Lion. Um, there's a lot to this story. I think that you know ultimately uh, the 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 closest to a, a, a complaint, uh, and I'm beginning to drift into into opinion here. But uh, yeah, the cl- That's closest brief. Is, uh, is is the notion that you know there is so much more to this. Let's take a brief uh, you know breath, and then contemplate revealing true opinion. Let's do it. Okay. I love this film. <laughs> I 
bubbed. Like, I absolutely, I, I, I too am happy to say I sobbed. I did the ugly sob. Oh, this is hang- this is. I, I introduced this film uh, at uh, open air cinemas uh, to a uh, sellout. Uh, it's an Australian, um, you know, technically one, one of its Australian premieres. It's a complicated distribution structure where you can have multiple premieres, but uh, there were 2,000 people there. Mm. And I actually, just as they all sat down and said, I really hope everyone brought the hanky. And I heard probably about 10% of the audience go, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, there, there is, yeah, I, I think there are three really big cries in this moment, in this film. Uh, one of them I totally won't go into. The other, the second is the text that comes up at the end of the film. I think it's, mm. it's always a sign of a great film when the extra information you get, it doesn't give you that sense of I wish that they'd made that film. Instead, you just the it, it's a kicker that really you know it it pulls your legs out. And then I highly highly recommend people stay until after the credits of this film. Oh yes, um, there you is must. there you is must. not. It is not so much a post-credit scene. Iron Man doesn't turn up having an amusing time with Thor or anything. This isn't a Marvel film, but there is something that is really worth uh, participating in uh, as the as the final moments uh, post-credits. And frankly, film. you'll need that time because you'll still be having there is a- after blubs. Indeed. Can I can I ask you something without um uh, and and though, for those where at the end this is a again I'm not going to spoil too much, but you know if you feel you've got everything out of this episode, but really want to be careful not to spoil. Don't now's a good time to switch off and go to our next episode. But, Dom, I had someone say to me that approximately halfway through the film, they, they or even before then, they'd guessed how it had to end and they didn't know the true story beforehand. Oh, okay. But they, they, uh, the, they the bad anticip- aspect as well They as anticipated the good, the good and the bad. They oh, sort no. of, you know, the details, and they felt that it was telegraphed by the film. I, I, I was caught blind. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, even the, I, the film is told so well that the second time I saw this film, I was effectively caught blind by the uh, Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think if you, if you go through the logical possibilities in your head, okay, you can probably... But I don't think it was telegraphed. Um, I haven't given my true thought, though. Which oh, is that, yeah, because you obviously hate it. Yeah, no, I do. I, it's um, it's a shocker. Look, I I think my my concern about this film. You, you mentioned the, the the stranger in Imara. It's is a situation. It is hard turning, um, even stories as as gorgeous and powerful as this into a film. And I, I felt like I didn't really have a sense of any of the the people in it. I I, have, I couldn't tell you anything about Saru as a as a human being except that. This happened to him. So I don't know who he is. I don't know who his family are. We, we saw so little of, of their characters. and of, uh, I, I can't remember a film that I emerged from knowing this little about the characters. I also wonder, and I think you've hinted at this, whether they did skip a lot of the most interesting parts of the story. Um, in, in particular, the, the period where he is on his own for a very, very long period of time. Maybe he can't remember it. But to me, that was the most fascinating part of the story and it was over far too quickly with time devoted to essentially mooning around and so in that sense i was a bit disappointed by the the balance of how it all fit together but hey it's it's, it is incredible oh look i think that the i i I often am um, uh, very i'm very negative often about true life films that get too caught up in the truth and i think that this film Whilst I do think it ends up going to the the well of filmmaking uh, tropes at times, I think it's done a really good job of adaptation because I would prefer they erred on the side they have, which is to create something with a 
proper film structure and to have for, yeah. proper narrative techniques than to feel compelled to be too uh, religiously adherent to the uh, the real life beats because real life does not come in three act structures and as much as uh, it's always nice to break rules uh, to prove that you're an artistic and creative genius the reason you know those rules for the most part are, are there for a reason and I think that the truth is told better in this film for the fact that it does obey the rules of narrative structure because it means that we know how to process that. We take it in the story format we're used to and therefore it, it hits us even more when we get the bits that are essentially disruptive because they're narratively disruptive, not because they're structurally disruptive. So I, I'm, I'm impressed with the amount of work they did on this and I think that it's uh, indicative of the fact that they were approached by a bunch of filmmakers and I think they made some really clever decisions on uh, the directions they went in because this could have been a, this could have been a Disney, and I mean that in the adjective, not the, uh, the actual company, but that sort of Disney movie movie of the week that used to be put out at 6.30 on Sunday evenings. Like, it just could have been so twee and uh, essentially the jungle book told in mm. real life. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really glad that it wasn't because that would have just, you know, that could have just damaged, you know, the entire story and, and its effect. I think that, uh, you know, if Google had been slightly less, uh, you know, of the Eureka moment, I think it would have hand like, other than that, I think it even handled the fact that it is inherently going to have a product placement in this. Like also, that's that's we've legitimate. All, it's the hmm. Google really was that integral to the search process. And we've all it's, used Google Earth, so exactly. we all can imagine exactly how needle in a haystack it is. It's not been. one of those moments where Neo in the Matrix happens to have a Nokia phone. This <laughs> is hey, the in real life this was the process and, and five years before it would have been impossible. Hey, they stitched together all the satellite imagery in the world, exactly. give them some credit for it. Exactly. I think we need to mention Garth Davis as well. Yep. Uh, pretty much a, a debut feature and such restraint and so, so beautiful. I, I think there was no romanticising of what we saw in India, the poverty, the challenges that, that are there. There was a lot of love coming through the lens in the way that India was depicted, which is a, a great thing. And as you say, it really captured memory. I think mm. that the, uh, the the sensory stuff, both taste and smell, which are really hard to convey in any meaningful sense, obviously with a camera, which is an entirely visual medium, uh, he really gives that a sense. There's butterflies, which are so crucial to this story in this uh, odd way that you, you just you understand at a subconscious rather than conscious level mm. because it is so clearly a subconscious reference for him. So, no, this is... Everyone involved, and and it's odd. I think that this is an Oscar nominee worthy film. I I think it's really, I I I wish it all the best of luck in the world. But I have a strong suspicion Lion is going to walk away from the Oscars with a bunch of envelopes and no gongs. Uh, but I have not even screenplay adaptation. Or I don't think or, so. I think I think it's okay. very. I think I think it's a. I think Moonlight's going to kick it in both of those categories. Uh, and I think that um, when it comes to yeah, you know, I've always said why I think Nicole missed out. Unfortunately, hasn't been nominated for directing and in yeah. terms of the best picture award that's you know that's a that, that is genuinely they should be uh, rightly proud to be nominated uh and for two australian films to be nominated it was great this year but uh yeah look i think sadly uh this is a a bunch of nominees no wins uh is likely for this film but i think that's actually the right level for this i don't think it is a i don't know quite how to improve it it's not a perfect film but it is just an extraordinary film well they've, they've certainly done a, a beautiful job with the material um, I want to leave this where the f- filmmakers leave you, um, pointing towards the, the only charitable response that's possible. Mm, I mean, you, it makes you think about the problem more broadly. They have to. You go to their website. I think it's linemovie.com. Yep. You'll see what they're doing. Uh, and, and in terms of causes that are worthy of support, um, the sheer number, 80,000 kids in India are lost like this each year. It's just impossible to comprehend almost. And to see the story of just one of them, yeah, you know, it's it's 
worth opening your wallets. And on the uh, the flip side of that, Sue Briley also talks uh, very passionately about adoption laws in Australia and how ridiculous they are at the moment and the fact that uh, she could not do now what she did then because the various states have all um, essentially, to, in, in a rather perverse method of trying to protect our borders, uh, infant orphans cannot be brought into the country. I'm not quite sure what they've been trained in by that point, but apparently they're a big security risk. Why you wouldn't want more? Sue Briley's coming into country? I absolutely cannot understand. No. Giles, it's been a pleasure. It has. It is an amazing film to see it. I didn't cry during the course of this, and I'm I'm glad of that.